You're listening to Surfer vs. Planet, a wave changer podcast hosted by me, Tom Wilson. Each episode features inspiring talks from the creative space where surfing and sustainability meet. I'll be talking to surfers, designers, industry experts, and original thinkers, highlighting some of the fascinating work going on here in Australia and around the world with the aim of creating a greener, cleaner, and more responsible surfing industry. Wave Changer is a program of Surfers for Climate, and you can learn more about our work at wavechanger.org and surfersforclimate.org.au. The whole team at Wave Changer and Surfers for Climate acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging. I'm chatting to Tim Silverwood this morning, who I'm stoked to have on the podcast. Tim is the co-founder of Take Three for the Sea. We also held the role of CEO up until a couple of years ago. In the past few years, Tim and his good friend and co-founder Nick Chiarelli started Ocean Impact Organisation, which is Australia's first ocean impact ecosystem and startup accelerator. Their mission is to create an abundant and sustainable ocean through inspiration, innovation, leadership and good business. Essentially, it's helping people to start grow and invest in businesses that positively impact the ocean. Tim is also a prominent voice in the environmental movement and is often seen giving keynote talks and advocating for positive change. Tim, welcome. Great to have the opportunity to chat this morning. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. How's your week been? Any time in the ocean or anything exciting happening? Things have been pretty hectic, actually. We uh, just recently put on OIO's first big physical event uh, in Sydney at the Maritime Museum called Innovation. So that meant flying down from my home in the northern rivers of New South Wales and away from the ocean to be a bit of an urban dweller for a week. And, and now I'm in Melbourne where I've got uh, a bit of work and a bit of play lined up. So the ocean's in, in a little bit of a holding pattern for me. I can see there's actually some really good swell coming up to the northern rivers um, in the next few days. So I'll make sure I fill my cup when the time's right. Yeah, um, I was actually at the Innovation event last week and it was very inspiring. Um, startups from around the world and yeah, I mean, you walk out of an event like that feeling so pumped and yeah, congrats on putting on such a, a, a really interesting event. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it did feel like it was something that perhaps uh, Sydney or Australia maybe hadn't seen before and that's been what we knew for a while, what OIO is doing is something which is building momentum and it's maturing globally, but there's not really any other players doing it quite like us in Australia and in the region. So for me and for Nick and for our team, I'm sure it was a moment to look around the room and to get that feedback and to see that it was resonating with people because we've obviously been strategically designing our programs and our offerings for some time and to finally bring them into the real world, to burst them in front of uh, a wonderful community of people was uh, validating and certainly very um, inspiring for us all. So can I ask, what was the main catalyst for you and Nick to start Ocean Impact Organisation? Because you've obviously come from the, the background of Take Three for the Sea. And is this something you had planned for a while or was there one, one or two particular spark moments that caused this to happen? It's a sort of beautiful story in many ways because 
Nick is very much the the brainchild of OIO. He is the disillusioned capitalist who's worked in finance and startup um, ecosystems for quite a long time, but was devoid of impact and wasn't able to ignite his passion for creating change for the ocean. Whereas me, on the other hand, I've been doing the change and the impact side for for 15 years through Take Tree for the Sea and through my activism. But I was getting really frustrated that no matter what we did, whatever levers we pulled with civil society and mobilising non-profit charitable approaches was always sort of butting up against this sensation that, you know, capitalism, this giant, enormous machine of, um, of corporate interests was just never really getting anywhere. You know, we were trying to go and fix up the mess that was being created by the big guys and they were only really paying this little lip service to the charitable sector and, and through civil society. So I was getting increasingly disillusioned that this sort of traditional charitable nonprofit path was only ever going to be tinkering around the edges. I wanted to get up there and play with big business. And I wanted to see what it looked like if capital flowed, flowed into this uh, game-changing, disruptive approaches that could really um you know change the nature of the way that we conduct ourselves on this planet and so when i met nick and we realized that we were coming from both ends of this broad spectrum but we were really united in the middle that well why don't we just get started by supporting early stage innovation supporting those entrepreneurs that could become the disruptive change makers of the future what would that start to look like? And so that's what we've sort of been doing over the last couple of years, just building this ecosystem, aggregating all these wonderful startups and entrepreneurs who are working to improve the health of the ocean, running programs and starting to shift some of that capital. So we've started the journey, but the the end goal the, and the whole um, mission really is to drive big amounts of capital and really disrupt the way that we treat the ocean. So we've got a long way to go. But by all indications, what's happening globally is really exciting and really pushing in the right direction. Yeah. Okay. Can you tell us some of your personal favorite initiatives and projects that you've encountered in the startup realm? You know, those that you supported and, and given guidance to that you've just been like, wow, that's that's so cool. Yeah. Gosh, there really is so many. One of the beautiful things that we designed with OIO from the get-go was this idea of being challenge agnostic and technology agnostic which essentially means if if you're a startup or an innovator and you believe firmly that your solution can improve ocean health across this diverse range of areas then we're interested in talking to you so obviously given the the nature of um the issue around pollution of the ocean be that from plastics or from other human um, materials that run off the land into waterways in the ocean. We see a huge amount across that spectrum, lots of different packaging solutions coming forward. Obviously, in 2020, the winner of our, our biggest initiative, which we run it here, which is called the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest, was Planet Protector Packaging, who saw the ginormous problems of expanded polystyrene in the food service and home delivery sector and thought, well, there's a better way of doing this using other insulating materials, i.e. waste from the wool industry, in 2021, the, the winner was Sea Forest, who uh, are obviously tackling the climate crisis predominantly by cultivating Asparagopsis seaweed, which can then be 
uh, added into feedstock, which can then start to bring down the methane emissions from various livestock industries, but they obviously improve ocean health at the same time by cultivating this endemic Australian seaweed. Um, and this year we had Nobo uh, as the winner of the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest, a, a startup from the US who have figured out how to create these fully dissolvable pods that can tackle the um, single-use plastic problems associated, particularly with hospitality industry and other cosmetic industries where you've got these very small portion sizes. Like I've seen lots in the recent years around the problem with satchels in developing regions in the world. Obviously, people there um, find it more financially limiting to go and buy a large bottle of washing powder or shampoo or whatever it might be. So they're always purchasing these sachets, which become huge pollution issues. And so you see a startup like Nobo who's figured out how to package it in a fully dissolvable pod. And they're like, well, there you go. That could make a, a ginormous um, positive impact on the ocean. But we had this year as well, like robotics were a big feature of the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest with a Sydney startup called Hullbot, who have figured out a wonderful robotic device to clean the biofowl on ship hulls. So these biofowls can obviously be hugely problematic for invasive invasive species transport as ships and boats move around the world, taking with them invasive species. But they also slow the vessel down, and that is a huge impact to extra carbon emissions coming from the shipping and the boating industry. So a robot that goes underneath your boat and cleans it without any of this toxic anti-fouling paint, which is the, the normal practice in these industries. I mean, this is literally just a glimpse at a few of the over 600 startups that have applied to OIO's programs in the last uh, three years. The plan for our planet is remarkably simple. Reduce our impact by making sure that everything we do, we can do forever. It's super fascinating because, you know, there's so many areas that are beyond something that is based on or in the ocean that affect the ocean. So um, I think it's great that this is being tackled from so many different angles. And in your opinion, what are the most important things a new designer a product designer, for example, could integrate into their design if they were tasked with making a new physical material product? I think a really big part of it is just fully understanding and knowing the industry or the product that you're trying to disrupt and, and improve. I think we do see a lot of startups that come through the outer edges of our programs that perhaps haven't really invested a lot of time in fully understanding the nature of the sector that they're trying to target um, and doing a huge amount of research and understanding because, you know, there's a massive amount of complexity attached to some of these industries. Um, and, you know, you don't want to just sort of jump out of the, the starting blocks and start running and then realise, you know, 100 metres down that path that, you know, what, the angle that you were taking was really going to be fraught with with problems from the get-go. So I think I'm really impressed by people who, you know, build a very strong advisory group around them. They go and get the the best advisors possible um, and they do their they do a huge amount of research and due diligence on what they're trying to to work towards because, you know, we don't have a lot of time to waste. And so you really want to try and nut out um, the best approach as soon as possible 
that can be a little bit depressing sometimes. I mean, I know that you're super passionate, Tom, about you know things like the surfing industry, which is heavily reliant on on petroleum and 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 plastic based materials. And you know, it's um it's so cheap. It's so cheap, and it performs incredibly well. All these petrochemical byproducts. And so you might have a great idea to go out and disrupt these sectors, but I mean, that cost barrier is going to be huge. That performance barrier might be a big one that you want to ignore. You don't want to acknowledge, but you simply have to because these industries and these sectors have built their technology over a long time with a lot of dollars that have uh, invested in that. So yeah, it can be a little bit depressing to do that stock take, so to speak, and look at the the ecosystem that you're trying to get in there and disrupt, but you really do have to do it because it might be that you recognize, you know what, it's actually not the right time to do that particular one, but I can start by doing this, which might give me the capacity and the opportunity to then diversify and pivot into the future to then tackle it when you're better resourced or whether or better timing is on your side. Yeah, totally. Look, I agree with everything you said there. Um, Having a solid group of people at the start um, just to bounce ideas off sometimes. And I think one or two people alone can sometimes get tunnel vision and you can kind of listen to your own ideas so much that you forget certain elements that someone else might point out and you'll think, yeah, of course. And and the cost and the performance, certainly with surfing equipment, um, no, I think that's, that's really solid advice. And there's a lot of, obviously, as you know, there's a lot of change happening right now with single-use plastic being phased out and materials being regulated. And even just yesterday, um, Mars Wrigley, who who makes sort of Mars bars and Milky Ways, they're trialling paper wrappers for their chocolate bars here in Australia next year. Do you think we're on a good path right now? Because there seems to be a lot of change happening really quick. Or could more be done? Yeah, look, I've obviously been on that front line of demanding asking nicely, protesting the whole gamut of of action on single-use plastics for gee, well over ten years. So that that kind of change at the at the policy level and the corporate social responsibility level certainly can't happen soon enough. The longer I've been, I guess, involved in and around the edges of, of campaigning for reform on single-use plastics the more I understand the you know, the complexities attached to it. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I like to see all that stuff there. I suppose where I really get a bit cynical and pessimistic and concerned is when, on top of all this incredible momentum and energy that's been building around the, the fight to protect the ocean from single-use plastics, which for the past six or seven years, has gone into overdrive, right? It became such a big mainstream global issue around about seven years ago. Um, yet all the forecasts from the big petrochemical industries is that they will still double their plastic uh, production in the next 15 years. So at what point can the action that we're taking and this mature acknowledgement that we simply cannot keep producing so much of this stuff when does that translate into predictions to actually um, reduce the overall output that we're creating? And this has been seen so much in recent times around the frustrations that we have when we see recycling schemes underperform or, or crumble or get into a, a really bad state. Like we, we can go out there and as a civil society 
get much better at putting stuff into recycling systems. We can go and vote with our wallet to get the paper packaging over the plastic. But will that actually start to disrupt the overall system here, which is it's so cheap and there's so many vested interests in continually sucking up oil and gas to produce these new petrochemical-derived plastics, and we're not seeing that recycle it come back into our lives through our supermarket shelves in beautiful recycled content items. It's just, it's worrying, I suppose, is what I'm saying here, that what we're doing is just, again, tinkering around the edges and not getting to the heart of the problem. Um, because as well, you know, what we're doing down here with our 26 odd million people in Australia is going to be very different to how the bulk of the 8 billion people currently on our planet are doing it too. So we need to really get to the core of these problems. And that's where I think, you know, new innovations and new approaches, new types of packaging solutions are exciting because they could potentially really dent the progress of the petrochemical industries who who sort of rule the roost at the moment. If you'd like to support our work here at Wavechanger, how about buying a Wavechanger Club membership starting from just $3 a week? Heaps of discounts, monthly prizes and giveaways. And if you'd really like to help us make an impact, consider our top level Reef membership, which puts you in the draw each month to win some truly unique prizes, such as a surfboard shaping experience, a morning surf and breakfast with a pro surfer, and much, much more. Head over to our website, wavechanger.org, to find out more. What are your thoughts on the general consumer behavior of society in general and the amount we consume? And, you know, you just mentioned 8 billion people. It was in the news recently that the population just hit 8 billion and 23 years ago it was 6 billion. So that's an extra 2 billion people buying and consuming stuff um do we need to sort of rein in our consumption habits as well as replace you know problematic materials with with safe and eco-friendly ones yeah absolutely i mean trying to instill that at the kind of scale that we need is going to be hugely challenging but from a very personal perspective and even looking at it in a national context like australia it just feels wonderful that we can influence those around us. We can influence our friends and our local community and our workplace. We can do so much to instill this more conscious approach to living um, and, and reducing that consumerism. And I think that is going to be a huge and growing part of the future, particularly in advanced um, established economies like Australia and other parts of the world. But the flip side, of course, is that the global 8 billion population is and will be transitioning into a more developed society in the years to come. And with that comes people that are ultimately living a very, very low impact life. Ironically, we often point the finger when we see communities in Africa or in Asia or South America where there's just this desperate levels of pollution and we're like, oh, I can't believe that's the result of the way that they live their lives, but their actual environmental footprint is so much lower than those of us in our 
air-conditioned, high-rise apartments, urban environments in the developed world. So as they start to change and start to look to mirror the way we've gone and developed, then that means a larger footprint. So that's uh, that's a complicated one. Um, but I do think that like any development curve, the sooner we can show an indication of how we're living a more sustainable lifestyle, the better we can then start to um, create opportunities for them to do the same, which would be hugely beneficial to the, the future of our species. No, I love that. Setting a good example for others to follow, not just in our own social groups, you know, but globally, Australia. And I think that's such a, a kind of uh, driving force to create a society that will inspire others. Is that is that something that drives you to to inspire others to to kind of follow what what you and Nick and Ocean Impact are doing and you know build upon that innovation and success? I think it's always been a massive driver for me. I mean, that mobilised me to invest so much in Take Three for the Sea. This idea of leading with your own actions that were so simply adopted by others. That was a very captivating time in, in my career. Yeah, I think I, of course I do it because I see the power of, of, of motivating others to do that, to, to mirror those actions. But I also do it just because it helps me come to terms with my own existence and my own impact in a way. Like I, I will always live this level of conscious consumption because otherwise I, I simply can't turn a blind eye to my footprint and my impact. And that to me is that idea of being a conscious consumer. It might mean by being conscious and actively thinking about the impact that you're making that you don't necessarily like the, that acknowledgement of that impact, but at least you've clocked it, you've registered it, and that might motivate you to be doing other things to offset it in other parts of your life where accessible. Like no one's perfect and to try and be perfect, I've been doing this eco renovation project up in the Northern Rivers and I started out legitimately trying to set myself the highest bar of using only reclaimed materials and environmentally conscious services and products and it almost broke me Tom like because it's just not practical to live every aspect of your life with that high set of standards but you can do your best and you can certainly acknowledge where you've succeeded and where you've failed um in terms of what we're doing with OIO, I suppose we have um, it's a little bit more challenging than than things like Take Three for the Sea, where it's super easy to say, "Hey, here's something you can do every day to make a positive impact. How about you go and do it too if you feel like you want to give it a shot?" And then you get into the world of OIO, and it's a very convoluted and complex system of trying to showcase the immense possibilities of diverse solutions that may or may not have a role in a B2C consumer-facing product. So it's a little bit more complicated. So what we're really trying to do with OIO, I suppose, is just stake that flag in the ground and say, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a whole raft of exciting entrepreneurs and innovators who had a vision for a better way of living on planet Ocean and could succeed? And so that's kind of like the simple ethos. Now it's up to us to aggregate those startups, find the right ones who are ready to grow at the right time, and then giving them the support and finding the capital and the opportunities for them to go and succeed. So it's a it's a much more of a 
you know, backstage solution to make the world uh, function a little bit better. But it is very appealing to everyone because, you know, we all agree that we need to, to make a whole lot of changes. If the ocean dried up tomorrow, life would also dry up. That's where most of the action on Earth is. You should treat the ocean as if your life depends on it, because it does. Just for a bit of fun, if you weren't doing Ocean Impact Organization, what would your dream career be? I mean, I have a feeling you might be doing your dream career anyway. Definitely look around and see all the nomads that are living and working in remote, far-flung places on the planet. And I definitely get a little bit of a, oh, that'd be, that'd be nice. I mean, I was very fortunate to do a bunch of travel throughout my 20s before I really started to sink my teeth into my career. So I can't really complain. But yeah, that would be pretty remarkable, wouldn't it? You know, you could have some passive income coming in. All you really needed was a laptop uh, and some some internet connection, and you could find yourself in all corners of the world, surfing and traveling and and living a unique experience. So yeah, that would probably be the one that stands out for me most, Tom. Um, I think Bali have just um, announced that you can get a digital nomad visa for six months, and yeah, you're right. Take a laptop and a surfboard and you know, pair of shorts and you're fine. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Obviously, the the world feels like it got a whole lot smaller in the last few years through the pandemic. Um, I did do my first overseas trip uh, this year and it's out there. It's as good, if not better, as you've ever imagined it was. Um, so, yeah, don't hesitate. Go and see the world because the, traveling the world was a hugely formative for me in, in in my environmentalist journey, I did university and I studied sustainability and I got that bachelor degree, but it wasn't until I went and started seeing and experiencing the world and seeing the complexity of the problems that I'd been studying in textbooks in real life that I was motivated to to level up and, and, and invest my career into it. So yeah, travel is, is the key. Awesome. Okay. The next section is called Hang Five. Five quick fire questions. Um, and if you can just give a quick answer in one or two sentences. Number one, what first got you interested in your environmental journey? Growing up in the bush with only myself as my, as my entertainment. <laughs> Great. Who inspires you the most from the environmental movement? I think the environmental elders those who've been working on these issues for multiple decades and still are the best champions. What's the coolest response to the environmental crisis that you've seen? Could be a, a product, a service. Uh, the coolest response to environmental movement, oh, just people going and living off grid and stripping back to the simple when society is trying to shove so much stuff down their throat your favorite marine animal always felt a strong assimilation with sea turtles for sure interesting okay and finally in our bid to save the planet 
Can you give a short sentence to inspire others to keep going? You are the change you've been waiting for. Don't sit on the sidelines and expect it to all come to you. Go and play an active role in seeking it out and contributing to it. I think we can do a lot with a huge push from the current and future generations to level out the mess that we've been living amongst for a couple of hundred cent you know, two centuries. And yeah, let's let's control, alt, delete, refresh that page and look to do things a hell of a lot better. That's great. I think the industrial revolution has a lot to answer for. Good things and bad things. Hey, thanks for the great chat, Tim. Um keep up the great work at Ocean Impact Organization and can't wait to see what the next cohort of future change makers coming through the ranks will be up to. And um, yeah, beyond ocean impact, is there anything else on the horizon or is this your pure focus right now? Yeah, definitely my my pure focus right now. Obviously finishing off the, the eco renovation project up at Frontera House, our property on the Northern Rivers. Um, but yeah, just can't wait similarly to see the next cohort, we will be taking applications for the next startup program, uh, accelerator program soon, and obviously raising a further investment fund. So you can find out all the information uh, by doing online searches and social media. And we look forward to seeing and meeting more great innovators, investors and entrepreneurs into the future. Thanks for listening. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to support our work at WaveChanger, head over to our website at wavechanger.org and we hope you'll consider buying a membership for our WaveChanger Club, which features giveaways, entries into our monthly draw with amazing prizes and access to a bunch of great discounts from our partner brands. Your support allows us to expand our impact and make an even bigger difference to safeguarding our planet. See you next time.